you're seeking biblical wisdom and understanding in these difficult and trying times, and you recognize the power of God's Word to delve deep into the issues of the heart, then welcome to Biblical Counseling Today with Dr. John Kwasney, husband, father, counselor, author, and teacher. Join us for Christ-centered, gospel-driven truth concerning our individual, marital, and parenting struggles. This is Biblical Counseling Today. One of the classic communication questions that arises for either workplace bosses or parents is, what is the right balance of praise and criticism? As people in authority, we know that either our employees or our children need both positive affirmation, praise, and corrective feedback, criticism. Too much praise can actually lead to worse behavior or performance, while too much criticism just smothers and frustrates a person. So if you read books or articles on the subject, you'll hear experts say that the ratio of praise to criticism should be 3 to 1, or even 5 to 1, or I've even read 7 to 1. That's a whole lot of praise. But it makes sense, doesn't it? We all want to hear that we're doing a good job or that we are thought highly of by the person in authority over us. And that's not because we all have low self-esteem and need higher self-esteem. Sure, it may partially be because of our sinful pride that we want all that praise, but it is also how we were created, to need affirming so we'll know we are doing things the right way. On the other hand, we also need criticism as well, as much as we don't like it. We need to be corrected. We need to be told how to do something better. So to only look for praise and chafe at the criticism is immature and foolish. It won't help us grow and mature as people. But to never receive praise or affirmation from those we need it from is not good for us either. Sometimes we parents forget how much we should be praising our children. Even worse, many spouses only hear the criticism from the other spouse and never praise. Praise and criticism go together in our communication with others. We must do well in both areas for us to love and lead other people well. But we don't need to take our cues from the world, that's for sure. The world may give us some good ideas, but it often gives us the wrong goals or wrong motivations. Again, we do not praise our children to build up their self-esteem or self-worth. And we also don't criticize in manipulative ways. So let's dig down deep today and look into the heart of the matter of praise and criticism. We all need to grow in these vital areas of biblical communication. As I have said all season long, our communication is important to God. It is so easy to forget that fact. We can often act as though our words are our own and we have the right to speak as we like. But the truth is that we are accountable to God for all the words we say and the words we don't say that should have been said. Our communication always improves when we do things God's way. So keep that in mind as we start thinking about praise first today. We'll start in Genesis 12, Genesis 12, 14 to 15. It reads, When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful and when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. 
Now, I know this is a very interesting place to start our thinking on the subject, but hang with me for a moment. This passage tells us that Abram's wife, Sarai, was very beautiful. She was so outstanding in her physical beauty that the princes of Pharaoh praised her to Pharaoh. So how do we apply that to this communication principle? Well, it's quite simple. Praise is what we automatically give when we are amazed or awed by someone or something. Beauty has always been worthy of praise throughout all times and all cultures. The only problem is that we tend to praise outer beauty more than inner beauty. When you see something or someone that is beautiful, you either think or say words of praise. It is just natural to do so. Or to be more accurate, God has designed us to give praise to all that we find worthy of praise. So I'm guessing that Sarai either received praise for her beauty or was well aware that people were praising her to other people. Well, now let's go to Genesis 49, verse 8. Judah, your brothers, shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's son shall bow down before you. Well, these are actually words of prophecy from the mouth of Jacob right before Jacob dies. You heard what he says about his son Judah. The rest of his brothers will praise him. Would they be forced to praise Judah? Would they have to come up with three praises just to make Judah feel better? No, they would praise Judah because he would do amazing things. Again, it is natural to praise people who are wildly successful, who do great things. By the way, Judah will be praised most of all because Jesus Christ comes from his line. Jesus is the line of Judah. But hopefully you get my point. We have no trouble communicating praise when people do praiseworthy things. We don't even think about it. Now, this is the easy part of praise. So how in the world do we praise someone who we do not naturally see as worthy of our praise? Well, here's a little hint. We must look more deeply. We must find things praiseworthy that may not be what we think at first is so amazing. By the way, I get this question all the time from parents. How can I praise my child when he pretty much does everything wrong? Yes, they love their child, but have you ever felt like that? Since they know their child needs praise, they have to notice even the small things, things you may not praise someone else for. What's tricky about this is it can sound patronizing when you praise someone for minor things. Hey, you got out of bed after I only called you three times. Great job. The point is we must be able to find something to give a child or any other human being praise for, even when they're not doing a lot that is praiseworthy. Now let's go to Proverbs 27, verse 2. Let another praise you and not your own mouth, a stranger and not your own lips. Now this verse is very convicting to me. My own wife lovingly reminds me of it often. We all long to be praised by others so much that we can end up praising ourselves instead. Why are we tempted to do that? Sometimes we just get tired of waiting, don't we? Or maybe significant others in our lives are pretty light with the praise. Or we may be trying to prove ourselves, showing others we're not so bad. 
Those are some of the fairly innocent reasons, if you will, for praising ourselves. But we are told that it is not wise, not good to praise ourselves. Why is that? Because it ultimately comes from a heart of pride. We aren't operating from true humility when we are pointing out the great things we have done. And I would say it often keeps us from praising others as well. We are wanting others to praise us instead of looking for ways to praise others. Well, let's go on to another proverb, Proverbs 28, verse 4. Those who forsake the law praise the wicked, but those who keep the law strive against them. So what does this proverb teach us about praise? Well, it first demonstrates that we can end up praising the wrong things and the wrong people. Lawbreakers praise the wicked. In other words, when you find yourself rebellious against one of Christ's commands, you can more easily praise those who are doing the same evil thing. There is nothing that is against God's law that is worthy of our praise. So to put it in a positive way, God calls us to praise all that is good and righteous and nothing that is wicked. Listen to Proverbs 31 verse 30 next. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Now, I alluded to this principle just a little bit ago when we saw the natural praise given to Sarai for her outward beauty. The fact is that the world praises women or men for their outward beauty and charming personalities. We Christians can naturally do the same. But as lovers of Jesus, we must also be lovers of inner beauty, of spiritual beauty, or as this proverb puts it, we must find a woman who fears the Lord to be most worthy of praise. Sadly, we can criticize or joke about godliness more than appreciate its beauty. We can admire people who are extremely ugly spiritually because they cover it over with a good-looking body or pleasant personality. We need to be more biblical in our giving of praise. We should be greatly affirming those who are following Jesus and serving the kingdom. Well, then there's the next verse, verse 31. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her words praise her in the gates. Now pay attention to the wording here. What will praise the godly woman who fears the Lord? The works of her hands. What we do for the Lord is worthy of praise. Why? Because God is the one who gave us those works to do, and he's the one who gifts and strengthens us to do them. So giving praise to people who fear the Lord and walk in his ways is really giving all the praise to God. Let's read more about the subject of praise in the New Testament. We begin in Matthew 6, verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Well, since we all desire to be praised by other people, it is tempting to do good things in front of them just to receive some words of praise. So here Jesus is telling us to resist that temptation. Don't practice your righteousness just to be seen by other people. What is the consequence of this bad habit? You'll have no reward from God. 
That doesn't sound very good. Don't you want God to reward you? The bottom line is that you sacrifice blessings from God when you look for the praise of human beings. But Jesus has more to say in verse 2. He says, Thus when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. My mother would always tell us not to toot our own horns. That comes right from Jesus' words here. Sound no trumpet before you. Stop and think how you toot your own horn in order to be praised by others. You may make comments about yourself when someone else is boasting about things he or she has done. You want people to know that you have done that too. Or people may see it on your face that you wanted to be thanked or praised for what you have done. The bottom line is that when we trumpet ourselves, we are acting like hypocrites who are motivated by self-glory instead of glorifying God. According to Jesus, receiving praise in this sinful, prideful way means that you have no reward coming from the Lord. Again, do we really want to forfeit that blessing? Now let's bounce back to the Old Testament in the book of Psalms. Psalm 150, verses 1 to 6, a familiar passage. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Now, this is such a great psalm on so many levels. But for our communication problem of praise... It is a great reminder of who really deserves all of our praise. Yes, it's important to praise other people, but this activity must always be in context of our ultimate praise, which is the Lord's. We must first praise God for all that he has given us rather than simply wanting to be praised. To put it another way, we should long for God to be praised rather than only long to be praised ourselves. No one can do anything worthy of praise without the Lord. So let's think of practical ways we can praise others, but in the context of praising God. Example one, your son gets an A on the test after struggling in the class all year. You say, awesome job, son. You really worked hard for that. You did great. Nothing wrong with that. But how does something like this sound instead? You say, awesome job, son. Praise God that he gave you the strength and mind to study hard and to understand the information. So thankful that you put in all that hard work. God is glorified in your studying and your test taking. Does giving praise to God take away from the praise you gave your son? It may sound like that, but hopefully as a parent, you find a way to communicate it well because it's really the right context. Here's example two. Your husband spends all day fixing things around the house. You say, thanks for doing all that, honey. It is so great. You did an excellent job. Thank you for taking the time to do it. Nothing wrong with those words of praise, but how can you make it better? How about like this? Thanks for doing all that. You are a blessing from God to me. 
God be praised that he gave you abilities to fix things I could never fix. Do you like that second one or does it sound too spiritual? The fact is that we can get so focused on praising a person that we forget to praise God. And when we receive the praise of others, do we defer to God as well? This is not some sort of holier-than-thou false humility. We all need to get better at praising the one who deserves all of our praise all of the time. Now let's consider the opposite problem of not praising enough, that is criticism. As we've already said, nobody likes criticism. So what place does criticism have in our communication? Listen to Acts 11, verses 2 and 3. It reads, So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. Now, what was Peter doing? He wasn't partying with a bunch of scumbags. No, he was eating with Gentiles in order to evangelize them, to show them the love of Jesus. Remember, Peter was called by God to go to the Gentiles. So the Jewish leaders should have praised him for spreading the gospel. But we know that they didn't think God was for the Gentiles. So they became critics of Peter. They actually criticized wrongly. Well, this can happen to us too, where we can be criticized for doing the right thing. More importantly, watch yourself that you don't criticize people without knowing the facts or without understanding the situation. We can fall into that trap as well. Let's go on to the book of Job, chapter 40, verse 8. This is God speaking to Job. Will you even put me in the wrong? Will you condemn me that you may be in the right? Well, why do we go here? Because when we criticize someone, we are saying they are wrong. Another word for this action is condemn. To condemn is to pronounce something as bad or wrong. In his laments over losing his children, his money, and his health, Job ended up criticizing God for not being fair and for not being his friend. So God tells Job that he is putting him in the wrong to put himself in the right. Isn't that what we often do when we criticize another person? Actually, the book of Job is filled with criticism. Job's friends all criticize him in his suffering instead of praising him for the life of righteousness he truly had been living. These friends were putting themselves in the right by putting Job in the wrong. They reasoned that Job must be wicked to be suffering in this way. So they were criticizing Job for things they only imagined he was doing. Can we do this to our friends too? Just guess that they must be doing something wrong? And is our heart motivation for criticizing another just because we want to be in the right? It's very easy to be the constant critic because we think we know it all. And we're just assuming that other people don't do things right or don't do things our way. Now listen to 2 Corinthians 10 verse 8. Paul writes, For even if I boast a little too much of our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up and not for destroying you, I will not be ashamed. Now this is an interesting verse for our subject. The word translated destroying in our Bible is connected to the idea of criticism. 
Paul is saying that God gave him the truth and biblical authority to teach that truth to build people up, not to tear them down. While he had some hard things to say to the church at Corinth, it wasn't just harsh criticism. There is such a thing as righteous criticism, as godly criticism. Another way to say it is constructive criticism that intends to build another up. So this helps us to stay away from the false dichotomy that praise builds up, but criticism just tears people down. We can say hard things to people, truthful things that are critical, without destroying them, without tearing them apart. In parenting, we must give constructive criticism all the time. If we don't, a child isn't going to learn without a lot of pain. Husbands and wives are to be able to criticize each other. A wife as a helpmate must lovingly and respectively point out where her husband is wrong. A husband as spiritual leader must also constructively criticize his wife at times. So criticism that builds up is vital in the Christian life. We should want to know where we are going wrong in order to get back on the right path. Well, let's stay for a moment in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 10. Paul writes, For this reason I write these things while I'm away from you, that when I come I may not have to be severe in my use of the authority that the Lord has given me for building up and not for tearing down. Here again, Paul has the goal of building up the Christians at Corinth. He had the authority to do so given by God. But as a good leader, a good parent, a good boss, a good apostle, he didn't want to be severe in his criticism. As I'm sure you know, it is so tempting to be harsh when we have to criticize another. We always need to learn to speak the truth in love and to give helpful criticism. But we must not shy away from offering criticism when it would be helpful. In today's sort of snowflake culture, we are told that we'll destroy people if we offer criticism. As Christians, we must show that righteous criticism is of benefit to those who hear. We'll end for today back in our favorite book when it comes to communication, Proverbs 11. Here is verse 12. Whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense, but a man of understanding remains silent. As usual, some clear and precise wisdom. We are often prone to criticize in order to belittle people, to make them small, to put them in their place. Christians are not to criticize people in this way. Instead, there are times to remain silent. We are to praise people in the context of praising God, but we are also to criticize to build up, not to destroy and tear down. May we continue to grow in giving the right portions of praise and criticism to others, seeking to glorify God and to love other people. Thank you for listening to Biblical Counseling Today with Dr. John Kwasney. If you have found yourself encouraged or challenged today, please share this podcast with your church, family, and friends. Rate us on iTunes and your social media outlets. It really helps. Until next time. May you enjoy the riches of God's compassionate grace and mercy in your life.